I've been held at gunpoint three times. <laughs> the most probably the scariest one was I was 16. I got greedy and heard of a this kid told me about a good price that a guy had in Germantown, Maryland. So I, like I took close to like $10,000 with me in this deal. And then uh, I'm in the back seat of this coupe. It's important that I say a coupe because there's no doors in the back. It just didn't look right. I immediately knew this, like this was a setup because like the way everything was being like discussed and like played out there like, yeah, we want you to come behind this house uh, through the back door. And I'm like, no, you have to come bring it here. They're like, nah, the only way you can get it is if you come in the back. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to the back. And then they would argue with me. And by the time we were like arguing, this guy came to the door with the gun. Now the driver is being held at gunpoint, but I'm stuck in the back. So I can't get out. I can't run. So then the guys are being the driver and the guy in the passenger seat are being thrown out. Guns are drawn. Now I'm stuck in the back. And now the gun's finally being pointed at me. Welcome to the Underground Comedy Podcast with Sean Joyce. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com. Hey, what's up? Thanks for checking us out. Today's episode is the first time we will have a guest who is also appearing at Big Hunt in the same week. So if you like what you hear today, Martin will be doing long sets to close out the DC's best showcases at Big Hunt on Friday night. They will be the last showcases for Martin before he moves to Los Angeles next week. And then on Saturday, former DC comic David Twitty will be back in town from New York to close out the showcases. Our guest today is Martin Amini. Martin has been a fixture in the DC comedy scene for the past seven years. From having never performed, he progressed to producing his own shows, opening for international headliners, appearing on True TV, starting a hit live show, and becoming one of the best comics in the city with a following big enough to allow him to headline clubs. In this episode, he talks about his early life as a drug dealer, how a fight with his cousin lit a fire that started his comedy career, and what it was like trying to be accepted into a comedy scene that had no interest in him at first. So your dad came from Iran at the time of the revolution, as we were talking yesterday. Yeah, 1979. uh, So it was the Shah was overthrown. So it was business friendly and American friendly. Right. In the late 70s. Mm -hmm. And then there was a revolution. Right. And it became an Islamic country. Sure. Yeah. It was a very swift change. With a religious government. Yeah, and those are like, you know, the upper class or those with ties to the government, you know, or the king specifically, um, was uh, in danger. And uh, my father's, you know, family had ties to the king. And uh, my grandfather was like a well-respected writer in the city of Esfahan. And uh, yeah, it wasn't safe for my my father. They were looting houses. People were getting killed. How old was your dad then? Um, so if this was 79, he was 24 years old. Okay. So yeah, he, you know, he told me stories about people. He saw some people get, you know, shot and, you know, what, at one point when they were, uh, you know, riding in the streets, like an older lady pulled him inside the house and kind of got, saved him from a very hostile situation. And, um, yeah, he, he, he flew over and settled in, uh, Virginia. I want to say, uh, Arlington, Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. But Northern Virginia. Okay, so he's in Northern Virginia. Yeah. And then, is that where he met your mom? Yeah, my mom also migrated from from a different country, Bolivia. And they they met in the same neighborhood. They lived in the same building, but didn't know it at the time. 
Okay. The story I heard was there was a snowball fight in the neighborhood. Oh, very wholesome. Yeah, and uh, I think, like, my mom threw a snowball at my dad, and, like, they had this moment. That's cute. Yeah, and then uh, later they found out they lived in the same building. And it was one of those situations where, like, you know how, like, um, in, like, in college days, like, everyone has their their group like my mom had this group of bolivian friends and my dad had this group of persian friends and one persian dude dated a persian uh a bolivian in the group of my mom yeah and they kind of all just kind of like matched up with each oh, other. It, the oh groups. it combined the two groups two groups so to this day i have like a lot of family friends who there's a bolivian and persian there's a lot of bolivian persian couples that i'm you know that we have family that's friends funny with. yeah because that's of, funny that dates back yeah to just like by chance days. just by or like yeah location like you know living in this building yeah they, ha- parties. Exactly. they happen to move into it's the like an episode of friends but like you know they're the bolivian persian style yeah of that's like a should be a show now yeah that'd be kind of it's a cool story people are into that. it's romantic did your dad come by himself he did but there we had a uh, his his older brother uh, my uncle phil firuz shout out to firuz he was already here he was a student at gw um, he was re- already kind of Americanized by the time my father came. Um, but my father kind of like stayed true to his Persian roots and only ha- hung out with Persians like most Persians do at this, in some cases. And your dad has an ice cream truck business. Yeah. Now. To this day. Yeah. What did he ha- What was he doing back then? Man, my dad's story is a it's a it's like a wild story because he he. He came to this country with money. A lot of immigrants don't have that story. A lot of these immigrants have the story of like, I came to this country with $100 and now I have this empire. Uh My dad's like the opposite. He came to this country with lots of money and kind of squandered it all. Because he was like a spoiled kid. He came from money. Oh, I like that. And so my (laughs) my father never learned like, like they had people who worked on the property. So my dad was always taken care of by like workers because my grandfather was a busy man he wrote many books he like he was a a well-respected man of the city he opened he had the first uh newspaper and you know he owned his own newspaper company the Esfahan post well yeah he was a big deal do you think do you feel like you are returning your family to greatness yeah i've always thought i always uh my father kind of planted that seed early early you're the one that's going to bring it back to what it was yeah personally Maybe on the American side, my cousin kind of did it on the Persian side already. Okay. So I think he gets credit on the Persian side, but I feel like I'm going to be the, the first on the American side to, you know. What's uh, he doing in Iran? Who? Your cousin. Oh, my cousin's here, but he's oh, oh. Max. He's already like. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's like the biggest yeah, Persian okay, comedian so you, in the world right now. So it's kind of hard to compete with yeah, that Yeah, your title. cousin is Max Amini. <laughs> yeah. Very successful. Very successful. Comedian. Yeah, he's doing great, man. And he's, you know, his influence is what got me into stand-up. Right. So. So was your, what, did your mom come by herself? My mom came by herself. This is kind of interesting. Um, My mom recently told me that it was between America and Yugoslavia. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> this is a big difference. And there was like, apparently, I was like, why, why? You, yeah, why, why Yugoslavia? Yeah. There was like, she said that there was a, when it was her time to make a decision, there was like an, uh, like an ad in the newspaper in Bolivia that Yugoslavia was paying people like there's like a nursing program but also there was a an influx of men to women so they, they needed women oh wow. so they're paying people to come to yugoslavia do you wonder i wonder what caused that imbalance maybe the war at one point or yeah something. usually that causes a shortage right? of men and so she was like really thinking about it and then uh and then she just like nah i want to go to america and uh and i'm so glad she did because yeah, it'd be so weird doing comedy in Yugoslavia. Yeah, not that would not be very fun doing <laughs> not at it. All. all right, that's cool. That's a cool 
uh, how was your dad into the ice cream when you were a kid? Yeah, since I was born, he 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 bought his he got his first truck when my brother my first my older brother was born, Bijan and uh. How many siblings do you have? I have an older brother and a younger sister. Okay. Yeah. And he relocated to Silver Spring. He relocated. Uh, no, Silver Spring was a little bit later on. They stayed in Virginia up until like um, I was probably like five years old. I was born in a Silver Spring in White Oak, in Lockwood Drive, and we lived in an apartment. And like my uncle was there. We, it was like about seven people in, in like a two bedroom apartment. Okay, so that's a, that is not a rich situation. No, this is by the things time things have this, been this squandered. Is, yeah, at this my point. father squandered. What was he doing with the money? At one point, my dad was being sent ten thousand a week, and this is like in seventy nine, eighty. Yeah, and that's my a dad lot of money. Just like he would just like roll around in his BMW, oh, Montgomery College, yeah. and like wear these. He'd go to Georgetown and party at this place called Mustache Co- Coffee or something like that. There was like a bar back okay. there. <laughs> yeah, like I, I hear all the stories because there's like all these pictures and people used to tell me how like my dad was just like had was like throwing money away. Interesting. Because he just never, he never had discipline. He had no structure. Yeah, so you have, now you have the combination. You got the immigrant side, but you got the flashy side too. A little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's In a, a responsible way. It's a cultural thing too. You got a gold chain on right now. Yeah. There's definitely, that comes from, um, yeah, definitely my father's side. My father had like I couldn't of, imagine wearing a gold chain. Yeah. It just seems completely insane to me for me to have it on. Yeah. It's interesting. Like growing up in Silver Spring, uh, your outfits determined a lot. Yeah. I talk about it on stage, but like for like sneaker culture, of course, was huge. But like growing up in like Silver Spring in my neighborhood, it was like a most predominantly like Section 8 housing, like your outfits kind of like separated you from like yeah. who's going to be like, who's who. Yeah. So like the, the better your outfits were, the more popular you're going to be, which turned out to not be the case when I transferred to like a more fluent high school later on. Like nobody cared about Jordans or like yeah. what I was wearing. Everyone wore flip flops and sweatpants. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on over here in Bethesda? This yeah, is totally yeah. different. So, so when you were growing up, did you have, what were you like your first ideas about what you wanted to be? Growing up at what age? Like, uh, let's say high school. High school, oh man, so much had already happened by by the time I got to ninth grade. I was kind of like, uh, I don't want to say tainted, but jaded. Not even jaded, man. My innocence was. Uh, my brother, at the age of fourteen, got me into dealing. Oh, so like, okay. My brother got me. He put a bag of weed in my hands and was like, "This is what you you're gonna do now," because okay. he was dealing and he was about to graduate. Uh, from high school not really graduate but he was uh, he ended up dropping out but he was like you're gonna take over my like weed and then what was he gonna do kind of just i guess sell to me or like because that i was his connection to high school kids because he's oh, leaving high school oh he was like distributing it to you And at that point i was pretty innocent i was like bad in class but like it's interesting looking back at like how weed was looked at in like the early 2000s very scandalous it, very like no nah, i was like yeah you you people were you know sent to j- people did jail time had jail time for a week Dude, now I think it's like the funniest thing ever is to, if you watch cops yeah you watch an episode of cops they're just they go in and they find a little bag of weed and yeah. they're just like well look at this yeah obviously this is criminals we knew this we knew they were criminals Dude, and now wild. we have proof of it because look at this joint on the table they're smoking weed yeah if you, you talk to an 18 year old today in like dc or Mar- it's like yeah man th- you would get a, you would spend a weekend in jail they treated it joined, like yeah. if somebody was smoking weed, they were obviously a hardened criminal. Yeah. And you kn- you don't need any further evidence. Yeah. 
So I remember being 14 and like my brother like putting like weed in my hands and like like this is what you're going to like you're basically dealing now and And then like, how you did that for a few years. Yeah, I ended up doing that for 10 years straight. 10. The guy had in Germantown, Maryland, and he's like, "Yeah, this guy you can get a pound for like 2400." And I was like, "Oh, that yeah, let's do that." So I was like, "I'm going to start off with like 4 pounds." So I like I took close to like $10,000 with me in this deal. And I'm like 16 years old, I'm in the back of this uh Honda and the two and guys where you had the, you had made the $10,000 on your own? Yeah, I was making like 2,000 a week in high school. Okay, so you had cash sitting around so you had $10,000 you were going to go. Yeah, that was like to start with. Right. Cuz I didn't want to put all my money into right. this new relationship. Yeah. Turns out I was right. And then uh, I'm in the back seat of this coupe. It's important that I say a coupe because there's no doors in the back. So oh. I'm stuck oh, you in can't this get coupe. Out. So like when I'm in this neighborhood in Germantown, it just didn't look right. I immediately knew this, like this was a setup because like the way everything was being like discussed and like played out there, like, yeah, we want you to come behind this house uh, through the back door. Come to, that's where, that's where it's at. And I'm like, no, you have to come bring it here. They're like, nah, the only way you can get it is if you come in the back. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to the back. And then they would argue with me. Yeah. And by the time we were like arguing, this guy came to the door with the gun <laughs> and now I'm being, now the driver is being held at gunpoint, but I'm stuck in the back. So I can't get out. I can't run. Cause I'm like, yeah. I would have to like try to like escape through the front door with the, there's no way. Yeah. Out. So then the guys are being the driver and the guy in the passenger seat are being thrown out. Guns are drawn. Now I'm stuck in the back and now the gun's finally being pointed at me and I just give him the $10,000 and I'm like, yeah, that's a good choice that you did the right thing. Yeah, there was no uh, no remorse there on my side. I mean, obviously, I wish I didn't go to that, you know, get this is high school. Yeah. Sixteen years old. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, no I've been in too many. Th- I, I've been very fortunate to not been when, harmed when, when you were uh, when you were making all that money. Were your visions in your head like I'm going to just I'm going to be like a kingpin, like I'm just going to get bigger and bigger do you have an uh, uh, like plans? There was this like, let's see how far I can take this. Mm-hmm. But for me, as a, even at a young age, the idea of the kingpin was not good because kingpins always get like they get killed and they the get end. killed. Yeah, or know, go to jail. Yeah, from what I even saw in like you know films, it's the flashy guys who always get caught. So of course. I, at that point, I was kind of very, I was very low key from a young age. Yeah. So I had it set up where no one knew I was the guy supplying everybody, like not just in my That's school. how you be the kingpin. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I kind of ca- try to carry that with me to this day. Just like, you know, don't don't show all your cards, man. Just just be cool, be humble. And like, you know, and you avoid confrontations like that. And then did you go to college? Yeah, I went to uh, U- University of Maryland, College Park. I was in the business school there. But that's a good school. Yeah, it was a very good school. And um that's when business got really good. <laughs> when you learn business skills? Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of college kids at Maryland. So, oh, just know. the kids. Yeah. Not not your classes. They weren't teaching you how to be a better drug dealer. Nah, I mean, it's it. it one thing that college does is uh, it does teach you structure. I mean, it teaches you how to like just. It actually, doesn't really teach you that much, in my opinion. I don't I think, think it does I think either. like all it teaches you is like how to cram for before in a midterm. You take some Adderall. You read a twenty pages of notes that's been like throughout the semester, and you pay someone to do those notes, and then you just take Adderall, and then you just study, and then you forget it after the midterm. Yeah, I, I it's feel, that's, I feel that's what that's way. what it feels. At least when I was in college, that was the formula. No one really went to class. Yeah, same. I didn't. I didn't go to classes. 
I just read. I paid for notes and uh, studied for tests. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, college is a waste of time. Don't go. I've always, you know, <laughs> they always teach you that if you look at people who went to college and you look at their how much money they make and compare that to people who didn't finish college, they make way more money. And so the argument is always you want to be in the group of people who went to college because you want to be in that earning bracket, not right. not in the no no college bracket because that's a lower bracket. No, 100%. I mean, studies do back that up. I mean, you go to college, it'll, it'll definitely help but your chances. the college is getting so expensive now that people are ending up carrying so much debt yeah. that I think it's getting to the point where it's almost not a sure thing anymore where it's an obvious decision. I think it's starting to be, I think a lot of people are starting to question it a lot more. Yeah, I think the key early on is to figure out what you want to do, which is difficult. That's a challenge. That's what I... What did you want to do when you were in college? I wanted to be a financial planner. Okay. That sounded something like, just like by reading the description of what they do and how they dressed, I was like, that sounds like a cool job. Yeah. You're working with money. You're getting rich. And then I graduated business school. It was like a top-ranked business school, but it was in 2009 when like the economy oh, yeah, was like right the great, in, yeah the great recession and uh, i remember getting an email from like the fa- like the administrators saying like average starting salary for graduates at that time from the smith school of business was like around 50,000 in 2009 that year it went down to 35,000 wow and so they were like yeah if you get offered 35,000 take it yeah. that's how bad it was and i'm like 35,000 after graduating from the fucking smith school this is bullshit. Yeah. I'm just keep, I make more than now selling weed than I am. You know what I mean? Sure. And I was like, this is, st-. and then I ended up just taking it to a whole nother level and moving to California. And, uh, so you just, moved to LA and then what do you want to do? Now in LA? I moved to San Francisco. Oh yeah. Cause I had, I had some, con- I made some contacts in Mendocino County. Yeah. I just kept going, man. I just was like, cause like the Smith school didn't give me a lot of confidence in like going that route. Well, it's a terrible time to graduate. It's like, the wor- it's actually the worst the worst timing yeah, you it was could terrible. have had. It was really disheartening because like I had worked so hard to get to that school because I had to go to community college for two years at Montgomery College in mm-hmm. Rockville because when I graduated uh, high school, I, I, I all my friends got into college except for me. My grades were terrible. So I had to like, I never did homework up until that point in my life. And um, But I was making money, but it was like this weird sadness of not being able to go to college. So I, I ended up going to community college for two years did really well to the point where I was able to get into the business school at Maryland. Um, did well at Maryland, but then was told. Yeah. No, that, no opportunities. No, no at the opportun- end of it. Yeah. I was like, what? That isn't, this was the plan. So you were selling in, in San Francisco. Yeah, dude. I, I took it up another level. I can't get in too much details cause I don't know, <laughs> you know, how, how that would play out. Uh-huh, but sure. Let's just say like things flourished for me in the West coast. And, um, yeah, I was living the dream. How man. long were you early there? Twi- early 20, I, I was there for like, I was there long enough to get all the contacts I needed from like that area. And then I moved to LA once I had everything like straightened up, straightened out in like the, the Bay area, moved to LA and, uh, I was 22, 23 living the dream. So what made you come back? Mm, I had a situation where uh, at one point I went on tour with my cousin, Max. With Max. In 2012. Um, at that time, he was like an up-and-coming comic. He was do- he was offered his first world tour, and uh, he was doing a theater run in London, Dubai, Toronto, and Australia. 
you know, I was this young kid in his 20s, you know, from Silver Spring, Maryland, you know, and I was like, uh, I was, my cousin was like, hey, man, let's come, come with me on tour, you know. You and how much older is he than you? 10, 10 years. 10 years, okay. Yeah. So it was an exciting time. So you're like your early, mid, you're early mid twenties. He's early mid thirties. Early thirties, yeah, yeah. And it was like an exciting time to see your 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 older cousin be, becoming a rising comedian, like a flourishing. Yeah, like, going uh, all over the world. All over the world, dude. That was what cool. kind of venues? Theaters. Theaters, dude. Thousand wow. theaters. Already, yeah. already in theaters. Because when yeah. I had moved to L.A. in 2010, I moved to L.A. in January 1st, 2010. I'll never forget. And like I, I stayed with my cousin for a little bit. And um, he, that was like the week he got past the Laugh Factory. He was like, started to be in the rotation in the Hollywood Laugh Factory. And at that time, Laugh Factory was like the top club in LA. Um, and I was, I, he was on lineups with like Neil Brennan, Bobby Lee. Uh, I think with Dane Cook was there a lot in the rotation. Um, so I got to see some really cool shows, man. And, um, and I had never really watched stand up. Like I had never yeah. really, you know what I mean? I was yeah. never exposed to it. I had never even thought about stand up as a career. I just liked it. Well, it's just, funny, you know, because when it. you started doing stand up, because I, I remember w- when you first started. Yeah. And, you know, you were doing stand up kind of in a way like someone who didn't watch a lot of stand up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, yeah, so it's a little bit different. You're a little bit like. Yeah. I was kind of uh, emulating what I saw in LA. Like, this person like this there's like a, a lot of confidence not a lot of substance not a lot of material which is rare in, in dc because no one's coming from la yeah. to, to dc when they're starting out Everyone everyone's goes going, the other direction yeah, exactly no one's coming from la so there's no la attitude getting incorporated into not new dc stand-up there's yeah, new york attitude i caught a lot of flack in the early yes. years dude i was uh i was not embraced <laughs> okay, so you went on that tour with Max, and then what did that? How did that change things? Yeah, man, we uh, we 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 butt heads. I think, I mean, s- seven years later, I'm able to reflect on it and say that uh, you know, my cousin's a new headliner, making doing his first run, his world, his first world tour run. And were you just it's going with them to hang out? Out, yeah, pretty much. I was his camera guy, but I, you know, I you know, I just bought a camera cause I had, you know, and yeah. just to make it worth it. You know, for, yeah. if I'm going to be there, I might as well kind of contrib- contribute. Right. And, you know, as a, as a young new headliner, my who my cousin at that point is, and, you know, doing his first theater run and international, that's a lot of pressure, man. And at that point, you know, I was a young kid, but I was also very, you know, uh, stubborn in the sense of like how I wanted things to go for myself. And if I wasn't being treated the way I, I like to be treated, then I'd probably react. And I think we just ended up two strong personalities yeah. on the road who are family members. You know, it's just like we, we just butt heads because it was just too – life on the road is tough, man. It's also – if you're not used to being around stand-up and, and comedians and shows and stuff, yeah. you don't really know how it works and you don't know what the stressful times are and, and yeah, everything. there's and, no and, way of knowing. And, like, once you're around stand-up for a while, like, you understand, like, you got to act a certain way at certain times around people. 100%. And not – not not realizing what it took to get to that point for my yeah. cousin and like how yeah i just was unaware of all the struggle yeah i'd th- just seen him at the lab i'd only seen him be in good situations right I'd never seen the struggle right so i was just kind of naive to that and you know i was just young and like um you know if my cousin talked to me the, the, the way i didn't like being talked to him like hey man like don't talk to me like that or we'd butt heads like that right or like we'd go back and forth and he'd be like and, and it got to the point where it got heated where i'm like i don't need to put up with this shit you know, I'm I'm gonna go back to, 
to Maryland and and I'm going to show, you know, I'm going to do comedy. So that is when you got back from that trip, you were I immediately moved back. You were frustrated. Yeah. And but I, it, go, I, but it I made had, you want to do stand up. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was almost spiteful to the at that point. Like in a direct competition with him? Not even direct. I was just so hurt. Yeah. I was so hurt. There was like this one moment. It's very trivial, but it just was like the tipping point where like we it was our first city on the tour, it was Toronto. And like before we left LA, he put like a whey protein bottle in my suitcase, in my luggage. And uh we we when we ended up in Toronto in the hotel room, I opened up my luggage and it was whey protein was spilled all over uh. my like, clothes. And this is like a, a month's worth of like clothes of like there's like formal attire yes, yes, for like yes. formal events. So I have like I was going to wear a suit that night because we're in Toronto doing a the- like a theater and I was going to wear a suit and there was like whey protein that wasn't coming off. And I was like, hey, man, there's a big problem. He's like, what's going on? I was like, there's whey protein all over my clothes. He's like, just shake it off. I'm like, it's not coming off. And he's like, dude, just figure it out. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like, we're a team. We need to figure this out together. And, and then he just kind of like snapped. He's like, dude, we're not a team. I'm going on stage tonight, not you. Yes. And that shit broke my heart. Yeah. Because at that moment, I'm like, dude, like I'm only here because you're my cousin. Right. I don't give a fuck about it, like you being a rising comedian. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like right. I don't care. You're my the only reason I'm here is because you're my cousin. Yeah, complete and was, disconnect. And then I was being treated like this employee, and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, you know, he doesn't realize how well off I'm doing on the yeah. side. He had no idea about my past life. But now you understand if you were going on a world tour of theaters 100%. and you brought along your little cousin right. to record you, yeah, and they started bitching at you before about, yeah, your yeah, show. Yeah, uh, yeah. my you first would be theater like, show figure it out dude yeah i have i'm here this is my whole life yeah dude yeah, yeah you're yeah. worried about your fucking suit yeah it's not important yeah no i get it no i get it now but in that moment it yeah. was so such a true feeling i felt uh-huh. and that was enough to like break like i was you know i didn't realize how like sensitive i was yeah or, like even like I'm the same person i am as that 24 year old kid except now i have the experience and insight on how tough it is to make it yeah to that point where my cousin is you know right still it's still out there it's like still it's still out there. it's not even that close it's still like in the distance yeah yeah because you i'm building up to it but like because you're you can headline in clubs in dc right you can do spots at clubs in other right. cities right but not you're a, not yeah. even headlining clubs all over the country right let alone theaters, theaters. all over the yeah, world yeah, yeah. so it he had made it so far and that was his first glimpse of that. Yeah. So it was like the first time he got that. Which is And hard. here I am complaining about, but then he like, the way he reacted, I had never seen that before. Yeah. He had never done that before up until that point. And I was like, I'm like, like, dude, I just flew out to Toronto for the, yeah, to be yeah, treated yeah. like this. Fuck this. And so you thought like, I'm going to succeed and stand up on my own to yeah. be respected the yeah, way I'm gonna that show I think. You. I'm going to be on stage now too. Yeah. You'll see. Yeah. You'll see. So I mean, I took that anger, and then like the thing is, it didn't stop at Toronto. We had to go to London next. So then in London we bumped heads because it just kind of carried over. Because the way I am, because there was no stopping. Like we kind of mediated the situation a little bit. Yeah. But then it's like you're you're in hotel rooms. You know, it's just like we're in London, especially in Europe. The the hotel rooms are very small. We had to share a bed on that one that one show. So it's like. I remember one time he just woke up in London, and we're in the hotel room, and he's like, he's like, when he wakes up, he's on. Uh-huh. He's like, hello, Martin. Good morning, Martin. And I'm like, dude, I just need coffee, man. Please, like. That's how he talks? 
No, because we he was in London. He was just oh, like, fucking he was around. Just, he woke oh. up being, he was like on. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know he had a British accent. No, he doesn't. But he was like being on. And I remember just being like, hey, man, I just need coffee, dude. And then like, and he's like, he's like, all right, just meet me downstairs. And he changes his accent. And then like, I'm downstairs and he goes back into like English guy. Yeah. Hello, Martin. Good morning, Martin. You ready for breakfast? I'm like, uh-huh. dude, I didn't, I need food. I haven't had coffee yet. <laughs> and then he just snaps him. He's like, uh, fine, I won't entertain you anymore. Yeah, and then, wow. and then it's like, and then boom, from there, we didn't talk for 24 hours. Keep in mind, I'm his camera guy. So I'm still filming him yeah. as he's ignoring me. Yeah. So this is like tensions building. That's bad. And we, we, have an, we have to go to Dubai next and yeah. then Australia next. So we haven't even been back to L.A. So all this shit's building. And in my, every city we go to, I'm like, dude, I'm going to be fucking huge. And we'll back. <laughs> so I'm already planning my yeah, comedy yeah, yeah. moves. Because I was just like so hurt, man. I was so hurt. It was like my first legit heartbreak. That's so funny, dude. Because yeah, you're still doing it. What? You're comedy? still on the path. You're still executing oh, yeah, yeah, your yeah. plan. Yeah, 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 yeah. You started conceiving the plan on that trip. Yeah, the, all the, it's weird because I had I was having visions of it, dream like. And what is that? That was like seven, eight years ago, two thousand twelve, springtime. So yeah, yeah. seven. It, I'll never forget those. I'll never forget those moments. It drove me for the first two years of comedy. Then after two years of comedy, I let it. I like because I was legit angry for two years. Right. Using that fuel to get over that, like not being embraced in DC. Well, that's good. Uh, I mean, I was say I was do, eating some shit in DC. You do have to have some fire to get through your first two years, bro. It was brutal out here. Yeah, when I you, came back. I was wearing like a leather jacket and a fitted hat. Everyone hated me, man. Yeah, because it it yeah. was it was the opposite of like the the vibe of like I would say like the the mainstream scene in DC is there was no main. It was all. It was pretty much alt. It was very alty when I moved here. Well, I, like, I'm just saying, like, like the like core a, of people who are like, who were developing in DC and were eventually going to move on. The core of those people, it was not a lot of cool guys. Yeah, no, not at all. I remember like a lot of it, you know, um, were you know, it's just, it's just, it, Wonderland had a like a was like buzzing. Yeah, it was like a lot of like don't block the box. Yeah, don't block the box. I just remember like it was like Wardell, Ahmed, Mahdi, Jamel. Um, and these are not cool guys. These it's just they're not traditional cl- like guys who do comedy clubs or right. like a ama- or like wear Jordans or right. that's why I, like I always make jokes now when I see comics at Big Hunt, everyone's wearing Jordans yeah. and like uh, they look like they're going up at the comedy store almost. You know what I mean? Like whereas it became mass culture, right? It everyone has it now. But I was the first dude to be like that guy. But yeah, but it's but you came in. You're dressing different. Your stand-up style is like an L.A. style, which is... I just had a lot of confidence, but no substance and material until I learned how to, like, um, write. But the people who were making decisions uh, about who got on stage at that time are not into that. Not into that at all, bro. I had to to take a lot Including myself. I took a lot of hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, We weren't that close until, like, maybe, I don't know, two weeks ago. Yeah. Uh No, but I mean, I'm it took just a like, long time. yeah, I'm just like, this guy is no good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I get, and I, 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 you know, looking back, I can see how I rubbed people the wrong way and it just wasn't, it didn't fit into the, I the, never thought that, I mean, there wasn't a need for us to like interact a ton at that point. Cause I, cause that, you had, you had just been a, you were also like an open mic comic. You were just like trying to pave your, cause there was, I was just lot, becoming, trying to become an MC. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of rooms. I was so just it, working my way up to be an MC. Right. And like we would see each other at the green room at the Arlington draft house on Saturdays. Uh, there would like be a few, there's only a handful of spots around town. So we'd all kind of just know, see each other. Mm-hmm. 
And um, it just takes time. Honestly, I, I didn't really become close with comics until I was like two, three years in. And I've, like once they realize you're not going to quit, mm-hmm. I think that's like passing the first test. Yeah. Like, oh, this guy's going to like, he's a really trying to, you know, do this. I can't, I'm trying to think of when Big Hunt either started 2012 or 2013. It's definitely not 12. Right, so 2013. So it's like, I think it was like but even February then, 2013. But even then it wasn't like, it was what just it, one night. It was week. one night. So yeah. it wasn't like, it, was it just wasn't a Wednesday show. No one had no, once you started Big Hunt and it got into the full swing of things, it changed DC comedy culture like to this, to this moment. It, it, it DC comedy has not been the same since you started big Hunt, yeah it's just it just gave it uh more structure and like a lot more of a center of gravity to yeah like, it gave the scene because it I- was more it was more spread out it among gave different the people. scene an identity yeah like we have there is a big hunt like it, it groomed a lot of comics too yeah uh-huh. and like i think the scene has never been th- it's like we like it kind of exploded from that moment but it's funny to go back. So when you go back to those early days before you're kind of embraced by what what I'm just going to call it like whatever the mainstream or like the core kind of group of people in D.C. At that time when you're you're running shows with Simone. Yeah. At Heaven and Hell. It's Brass Monkey. And I saw you produce a show, a headlining show. Not a he- I don't think you were headlining. At but Penn Social maybe. It was. No, it was at Heaven and Hell. Mm. And it, it was there was a lot of people there. I feel yeah. like there was like two hundred people yeah. there. I've always been very good at what was that show? Maybe my birthday show. Yeah, it was like a DJ. There was a DJ. Yeah. Jamel, like a big I think, emceed it. Um, Chris Milner was on it. Gordon Baker, Bones, Stavros, Halkius. And this is 2013. Yeah. Tyler Richardson. That's a good lineup. It's a great lineup. I mean, I've always been good at like booking. So that was like yeah. kind of shocking to me because at that time I was that was when I was like still doing mics. Yeah, and so like I would, I did Brass Monkey a couple times yeah, yeah, and yeah. Heaven and Hell a couple times. Good rooms. And uh, <laughs> you and Simone are like making out with girls at the bar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was mostly some. Yeah, Simone. Yeah, <laughs> shout out to Simone. And uh, yeah, but I'm like, okay, well, this guy, his jokes aren't good. Yeah, his show is fine. Mm-hmm. Seems like a fine guy, you know, whatever. But then when I saw that birthday show and I see this packed out room, it's like, hmm, this is interesting. This is a different type of person, right? Right. This is a person that can fill up. And I know how hard it is to get 200 people to come to a show. Yeah. And you did it and you're early on. Super early on. So yeah. that was interesting. You were also at that time doing, starting to do like video production stuff. Yeah. I had come to dc with that background because when i was working with my cousin i actually got into it i kind of like i'm i'm like i'm underselling how good i was at camera stuff uh-huh. while living in la because like you know i never went to film school but sure. I, I just ended up becoming really good at like uh-huh. this camera thing and to the point where like i i kind of like dropped all the extracurricular illegal stuff and uh-huh. just focused on like this film film and editing and then stand up eventually and uh it became a passion of mine, uh-huh. like almost an addictive passion, just like I had that same addictive passion with the right. other stuff. And uh, yeah, I would pr- I would like make these like cool promo videos that were like, again, kind of frowned upon in DC. Like everyone's like, who the fuck is this kid with these yeah, comedy promo Yeah, because yeah, we didn't videos. have like, uh, yeah, there wasn't any culture of, 
of promoting comedy shows at all. It was yeah. like really just like you put it, you have a comedy show and uh, you go perform on it and that's it. Like there's nothing else. I just came out the gate with this production company called Silver City Productions. And uh, it's because I'm from Silver Spring. I was like, mm-hmm. that's like a, a homage to that. And I had this film background. I had watched my cousin like kind of rise and become this headliner. And I kind of used those producing tactics that I got to see firsthand in LA and just apply it to a smaller city and it just kind of like you saw people doing stuff like that out in LA no it was my it was mostly my cousin my what cousin, was your cousin doing he just he, he produced his own shows at you know um 2009 and 2010 my, my cousin did shows at the Bethesda theater it was his first like headlining show okay in 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 this area and he brought like Felipe Esparza um Isa McGraw and um Elliot Chang from comedy this is like 2010 so I always saw him like go above and beyond uh-huh. with the producing and i honestly think it's in our it's in our blood because like he's really good at bringing people out just off of like his just like personality mm-hmm. he's like a guy people just want to go and support i had that early on too like i remember my first ever show i produced one month into comedy i had like my entire high school class because i'm from here right so like getting people from my area to come wasn't that hard but also like it's very unusual for people to want to go and support someone but yeah i always had that in me like to this day, I'm I am where I am because of this, like m- m- like my audience. Right, I've been very fortunate. So you were doing those shows at Brass Monkey and Heaven and Hell. Yeah. And then, at what point did things did you start getting incorporated into like that kind of like main part of the scene, like the core guys? The DC scene. Um, interestingly enough, I think it took breaking into the stand-up side to be taken seriously. I remember vividly, like, thinking... Oh, absolutely. Of course I, it does. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, it just producing shows, I mean, people will respect you as a producer, but that's not going to make them right. care about your stand-up. I learned that... I had to learn it the hard way. So I you remember, thought, like, if you were, if you pass out shows, then... Well, no, I'll be embraced by the community. Yeah. Because in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm contributing because there's not a lot of good shows right now. Right. At the time... This was before all the good shows. Every yeah. like, every night you can get on. This is there's like just a couple of good shows. Only a couple of good shows, and I had a really good show. I mean, I was really packing it out, and um, I I booked the people who I thought were the funniest in town. Uh huh. Thinking to like in my old school drug dealer mentality, I'm like, well, you get the biggest, like to get the yeah. guys yeah, who yeah. want to like you, and then they're gonna like me. And then I remember the I remember booking the funniest people at the time, and being at the Arlington Draft House, at the green room. And then them like not even acknowledging me and being so hurt. Oh, because you're like I thought we were friends. I thought we were. Cool. I got, yeah, I thought we were gonna be. I thought you would say at least hi to me. You yeah, know I mean, I thought you were gonna at least acknowledge me. And I was like, after that, I was like, fuck, that's it, 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 it is really a, hurt. I think it's like a really funny thing just to to think back, like so where where you are right now in the scene, like you're you. Yeah, I'll never forget. You're those in days. a great place, right? Like you're sure. you're right up at the very top of the scene. Sure. And but you you don't have to go back that far no. to when you're at a Saturday night mic yeah. and no one gives a shit about you. Not even gives a shit about you, but acknowledges you and... Um, we might even dislike you just based off of the way you're it could be that carrying yourself. You're not guaranteed... I'm not guaranteed stage time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was getting bumped on a lot of shows. Sure. I wasn't... You know, it was very difficult for me to get a stage time. Even like breaking into Big Hunt was a big deal. Yeah, because I wasn't I wasn't a guy who I was not embraced. That's because you weren't a part of that scene at that, that time. That, the culture, the D.C. culture. Yeah. I was the anti 
anti uh, DC comics. Yeah, you weren't part of it at all. The, the irony is, I'm of the city. I'm from here, which uh-huh. made it that much more hurtful. Yeah, none of the I'm other like, people Dude, were. <laughs> I'm from this city, and to this day, I'm so proud of like where I'm at in terms of comedy voice because I feel like I'm being true to myself and true to like when I'm on stage. I think that's been a lot of you know recipe for my success. People identify with what I'm saying because I'm almost speaking the language of the area, mm-hmm. like the way, like a lot sure. of my vernacular, a lot of my mannerisms. It's like it's just how we grew up in this Silver Spring, D.C. area, um, Glenmont Station. I think at that time too, there also wasn't much appreciation of D.C. itself. Yeah, in the scene, I think. But I brought people, that. F- see, I brought a different demographic to the table sure. that people didn't have access to, which sure. people kind of craved. You know, guys like um, I remember like guys like Randy Syfax and Jamel and Mill, like just like a uh, Sarah Armor. Um, they I remember them being very like excited and thankful for my audience because it was a totally different energy yeah. than what was around. Mm-hmm. I brought like a younger, cooler audience, and uh. Like people who wore Jordan, just like me. Yeah, like people right, who were just right. like me, and then they're, they're like, "Dude, this is like the hottest show in town." Like they were people so people that weren't going to local comedy shows, right? Either. Exactly. I I brought a different audience to shows, and I was a lot of times the first introduction to stand up for a lot of people from my area. So, how do you think? What do you think happened to get you on at the green room and to get you in a big hunt? I just hung in there, man. You know, I used my anger to fuel me. <laughs> Yeah, at least those first two years uh, I kept my head down I didn't talk shit I always kept the positive energy I don't know if you remember From me back in the day But I was a very like A happy I was a pretty like uh, Yeah yeah I was very good natured Yeah yeah Um, It's not that I'm not anymore I'm just a little bit more um, He's a little more stressed out now It's not stressed out It was just worn out Like yeah man A lot's yeah. happened Yeah You know it's a lot So yeah. much has happened Since those days Yeah cause I think what I think you were you were a nice guy. Mm-hmm. You put on shows. You know, you had a good attitude. You never did anything. Very good. A- I think you, you a never good did attitude anything. Can carry you far in this business. Never, never did anything negative on stage. I think early in those days, I was not that into your jokes. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm just like, yeah, I don't. You really, and everyone else. I don't, I don't think really there's like any, those there, jokes. I didn't really have a lot of support from uh, from the scene until um, Andy Klein. I think gave me my first like shot at the uh, hosting at the. Uh, at the Arlington main stage. Mm-hmm. I was like two and a half years in. I hosted for Ahmed Ahmed. And then I got my first really big break like a few like a few months later, opening for Trevor Noah. And oh wow, what a that is a crazy break. Yeah. So I got a chance to open for Trevor Noah, like I believe in um two thousand fifteen, uh right when he he was given right the daily show. He it was like got the week, announced. The week they announced it, he had just just by chance Booked to do a seven shows at the Arlington Draft House. I don't think it was seven shows originally. I think he got booked to do a regular weekend and then got announced. <clears throat> I So what happened is a lot of people don't realize um, Trevor Noah. Oh, how big he was. He was already massive. Internationally, um, people flew in from like all over the world to Arlington Draft House to see him. That's in that, you know, whether he got Daily Show or not. I mean, the Daily Show announcement only added more to the show because media came out mm. and um i remember for like the thursday night show i wasn't allowed in the green room because the the comedy central team was in the green room with him going yeah. over the details and i knew how i didn't realize how like 
big of a deal the Daily Show was until I saw like these guys in suits with like the Secret Service things in their ear. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, uh, and I started talking to him because I'm outside the green room because I wasn't allowed in. And uh, one of the guys, his name is Marcus, the head of security. I go, hey man, like what? Why are y'all uh, why are y'all here? And he goes, um, a lot of times, you know, the host gets death threats, and I'm like, he's like, yeah, I used to be John Stewart's uh personal security, but now I got transferred to Trevor Noah. So we went wow. from yeah, that was his like, uh, his job. He got, I didn't even I didn't know that. So they get a lot of death threats. So that's why to the point where they have to have their own security. Yeah, to like almost like 24 hours. Yeah. God, that sucks. It sucks to have to have it. I think when he got that job, people forget how coveted that that, that spot was. Oh, dude, I know. It was it was it one doesn't of feel the like that shows more, but well, yeah, it's, the show's not as big yeah, anymore. Yeah, but John Stewart when he stepped down, it was like a huge deal. Oh, yeah, that was a and then uh, one of the biggest most important shows in the but country. But that weekend, that those seven shows opening for Trevor that Noah. That was your second weekend at the Draft House? Yeah. Second weekend MCing? Yeah. And that like I remember pitching it to Andy like He's mixed. I'm mixed. He has a lot. You know, he's international. Sure. I'm kind of like, and he's like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, and he just gave it. To, he like, w- you know, he took a chance on me. But I feel like I like, I remember the owner, Colleen, saw me there. And she like fell in love with me. Uh-huh. The owner's wife, like the owner. It's a family run business. Arlington yeah. Draft House and DC Draft House. And they were like, that was my home club. That I was like beloved sure. there. Like pe- everyone. That was my home club too. They took me in. They were the first comic friendly place that like brought me in and um I kinda like got my chops there and um that's what gave me the the confidence to keep going, but also to like keep writing and sure enough, you know, after a few years I you know, I, I got a good ten and then that was enough to get me into other spots. You also you also shifted your style of comedy maybe a couple of times. Yeah. Um where you kind of made an intentional choice to try to there was a time where you were kind of doing, doing like Muslim jokes. Mm-hmm. So you're doing a lot of ethnic type jokes, right? And then you shifted away from that. Yeah, because that's what I saw in L.A. That's what right. I saw my cousin doing, and and in my mind, I'm like, well, my cousin's touring the world, so yes. that works. Yeah, it does work. But then when you're in D.C. and in a culture where that's not necessarily like considered, I don't know, of the you know the pulse of the scene. You got to kind of adapt and evolve to like uh, because it's an East Coast. It's st- an East Coast style. Yeah, and that stuff is not appreciated. Not at all. And it it made me so much stronger. It's looked down on. It's look. You know, I trust me. I to this day, I don't, I don't do anything like that anymore. And not even it's not even like it's not even I don't do that. It's just uh, well, you got to do it in a an intelligent way. Sure. And so the punchline can't be an accent. Right. That's like what you know. That was my biggest takeaway. Where in L.A., sometimes that's good enough. Absolutely. Now, I don't know. Yeah. In 2019, I don't know if that's flying. I haven't been in L.A. and seen what they're doing, but at least you know there was a time when that was the punchline, which yeah. is an accent. Yeah. I my feeling is that it's they've probably gone away from that quite a bit. I think. I think. Yeah. I, I hope so. Yeah, I hope so too. Well, I guess you're gonna find out. Yeah. That's like a very savvy move that you pulled getting that Trevor Noah weekend, making the argument to Andy that makes sense, Cause, knowing uh, that he's huge. I had a feeling that it was going to be a game changer for me. And one thing I learned from my early years that I've definitely pivoted from was um, I always thought that it was going to take a famous person to like yeah. help me uh-huh. with my career. And I'd say maybe the past 
two years, I've kind of pivoted away from trying to open for people because, um, I, you know, I don't think that's going to be my path. Yeah. Max Silvestri said, he was like, I always thought some guy in a suit would appear and tell me that I was in show business right? or some rich headliner would tell me yeah. that everything was I set for me for Trevor. No, he's going to like me. We're going to become friends. Yeah. He's going to take me on tour with him or opening for, uh, you know, all the guys I've, I've opened for everybody. But I really re- have. The reality is, is that they can help you out. They can get you a, a thing here and there, but they can't do everything for you. Right. And honestly, you're better for it. You're better for it, like not letting someone pave the way for you. If you can, because if, you yeah. would, you might still have that same style. Right. Because if you weren't forced out of it in order to fit in, if you were able to, if Trevor was like, come on the road with me. Yeah. Then I'd be, do, I'd be just, I'd be emulating what Trevor's doing uh-huh. or, just or tra- your, or your cousin or trying to please Trevor Noah yeah. and like be cool with it. And it's just like, you don't want to, as a comic, it's so important to just develop your own style and voice. You're so much going to be better for it in the long run, in my opinion. So you got incorporated into those other shows and then you start working your way up. Once you're at Big Hunt, then you start to climb the ladder there. Dude, Big Hunt was a was, was an uphill battle, man. I was get I wasn't getting the spots I thought I deserved. I was like I always felt like I was like I'm just as funny as the guys getting like all the spots. And then but but then I was like, okay, well, if I'm not going to get the spots, let me show what I can do. I was like, let me make the the spots that I do have count. Yeah. So I'd take my spots even more seriously. Right. I I try to like make an make a name for myself by having strong sets, crushing mm-hmm. as, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh I, I had a really good five. Yeah, because you can, even if you're doing material that, you know, is not perfect for the city. Or if you don't, like, yeah. If the, or the, for me. If the booker doesn't like it, but it's crushing. Yeah, but you're, yeah, but you're having, a, getting a lot of laughs. Strong sets. In every set, you're going up and you're having a strong set. It's like, uh, for me, I'm like, okay, that's right. good enough for me. I can, li- I can live to see another show. Yeah, I'll put, I, I can put a person on who's, whose jokes aren't perfect for me, but. The, everyone's laughing throughout their whole set. That's yeah. that's great to have a couple people like that. I feel like, like in that. my mind, I'm like, yo, it's pretty hard to hate on someone who's having really good sets. Like, you cannot like their comedy, but it's hard to like, because it's a coveted thing when you can make like a group of people follow someone and just like have the you know the loudest reaction. Yes, it's it's, it's a absolutely to this day. I think it's like it's it's always in demand. Like, so th- then you also you continued to produce shows during all that time. Yeah, and over the past few years you started growing your following beyond just the people that you knew from from your early years yeah what happened was my stand-up caught up to my producing skills yes my stand-up skills caught up to like how good you know how good i was at yeah you were a great producer and a early on beginner stand-up there was so many phases where um i missed opportunities because my stand-up wasn't good enough to match the level of like, I remember like 2013, man, I had like 300 people come to Penn Social, Jermaine Fowler headlining. Like I had oh, so I many that. moments where I was ready to take off. Yeah. But I just wasn't good. And I no. just didn't have the material. Yeah, Stand up wise, you weren't ready to take off. I wasn't off. ready. You could have, I mean, you could have gone to LA and been Sarah Mello. Yeah. I could have been in a lot of good situations, but it all turned out for the best because I ended up hanging in there longer, developing longer. To the point where now I have an audience that supports, that buys tickets, 
and I have an hour of material that I'm very like proud of. Well, you also got a chance to really find your voice, to really explore what you want to talk about and how you want to do it. Yeah, man, I'm so thankful for like, DC has become such a cool place to develop. So how did you, did you change anything to break out from like, I'm going to get everybody I know from Silver Spring to come out to these shows? Or was it a natural progression as people just kind of started following along coming yeah, out no, to your shows? It was, it was, it spread, you know, over time word got out and, um, I've kind of become synonymous with DC comedy in my, like in this area, like, uh, there's definitely outside of the stand up culture, there is a, I don't, I don't know what you call a cool kid culture of yep. the city you know what i mean but i'm of that community also mm-hmm. so i'm a figure out outside of the stand-up world i am a figure in the art world in the dc arts right because i've done like a lot of music videos like directing for rappers and so i a lot of musicians and artists know me in dc and um and because i grew up here i just have a lot of relationships so words got around and i think like when you're known for like when you have good quality stuff you know, it always goes back to dealing. <laughs> word gets, word gets, yo, word gets out. You got the that's best. Funny man, you get the best quality stuff. People that's come funny. back, and I, that's, that's kind of been my like mantra for 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 both producing and stand up. Like, if you focus on the quality, you don't really have to oversell it. It kind of right. kind of speaks for itself. Like, yeah, dude. Like, I don't have to, to this day. I mean, yeah, I do a lot of marketing and stuff, but like, people who see me, they know. Like, they're like, yeah, man, this is like you have to have an imp- you have to leave an impact. To right. this day, when people come to the Overachievers Comedy Show, they leave like, dude, that was... When was the first Overachievers show? It was uh, 2017, May? May 2017. Okay, so you just passed two years. Yeah. And that was it at Draft House? Yeah. At DC Draft House? Yeah. Um, I took one year off from producing and just focused on stand-up. So you, okay, so you take a year off from producing. Yeah. You make a lot of progress at stand up. At that point, you're you're pretty far along stand up wise. Like you're starting to get yeah, I got good pretty, spots. I, yeah, I got pretty good. I got pretty good. Then uh, overachievers was kind of like a new thing. I rebranded Silver City Comedy. I just rebranded it because I you know like I thought Silver City was a, a production company for a video. It was, but then I just kind of used. I wanted to like have an umbrella. I was like, all right, this is gonna be my film live oh, shows, oh, like a, like a whole like like a like a whole entity like build that name up yeah and then um i think like i just needed like like you know how like nightclubs are like only good for like four or five years yes then you gotta just rename it yeah yeah that's what i did stale it becomes stale yeah it's not fresh it needs to be fresh exactly so i I had that idea with the overachievers i just like yo i'm a i think that's a cool yeah that makes sense really cool name and then i just like and then just ran with that and then i've been off and running since then man we've we've exploded this i think it's so funny i always i used to always call it underachievers yeah Do you a lot of pe- a lot of people have because it's so funny because the idea of overachieving is not a concept that has been around me in my life ever yeah overachiever i don't what who's the fuck is an overachiever who i don't know to, yeah who wants that's not cool that's i'm not an funny. underachiever that's not cool people are like you should be doing this yeah you're only doing that you should be doing this and i'm like yeah well whatever man yeah Sorry to let you down. Yeah. Well, for me, it's always been the opposite. Like when you're a half Iranian, half Bolivian, you're trying to break into a a scene that you're not, you know, fully embraced. You got to overachieve. Right. That's been my, my like since day one. Is but people like it. 
people it, it speaks to people yeah yeah it, it, it's spread i mean i think minorities identify with it pretty heavily i think as a minority you gotta overachieve <laughs> in this country yeah it, it kind of is is required of you almost yeah from in society it's, like an, it's an unspoken thing but we all get it that's like uh i don't know joe biden just said the other day i don't know he says so much ridiculous stuff but he yeah. he said the other day like uh you know if you see a kid in a hoodie he might be the next poet laureate he, <laughs> he doesn't mean he's a gangbanger because he's wearing a hoodie and it's just like all right this is this is from like 1985 yeah. like this line but but the idea is Hey, you don't know that kid could be a poet, and it's like, or it could just be a regular guy. Yeah, it doesn't have. He doesn't have to do something special. But that was the mentality. The mentality was there are. It's like, hey, there are minorities who are special, bro. You don't understand the frustration I had for the first three to four years of like seeing such average, subpart comics get opportunities, yeah. and I'm like, I always had, I had to prove myself so much to the point where I'm like, dude, what the fuck do I have to do? But it's funny because part of that, part of the problem is you didn't come from watching stand-up all the time. That's true. And so I started watching stand-up when I was like five. Yeah, but there was like, there's, you could make an argument. There was like a lot of comics who didn't watch. They just didn't know what the fuck they were doing, but they were just like, they just fit the mold. And they were like, oh, okay, well, well, you'll be given some chances. Oh, I know. And it's like, there's people to me that are like raw talent that you can see a spark but not, not might might not have the structure, but has the potential, like the raw like potential to become something. They just need stage time, and the hard part is just hanging in there long enough to where you're given those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people don't have the the. Per- but you had to do it. You did have to do it through hard work. You got this, you you started getting stage time, even the the kind of shitty stage time you had. Yeah. But what you were doing with it at first was. And not an ideal version of stand up. Hundred percent. And you but had to it, learn. It, it, it took yeah, it took You had learn, to learn. You had to watch other people. Yeah, yeah. You had to watch other people. You had to see who everyone respected. You had to see what jokes and worked. Bu- and book them and just surround myself with them and just look take it all in. And I learned from the best. I really did. I was very fortunate. DC has so many good comics that it's like if you really just if you're not getting the stage time, you can easily go and just watch the best and learn the good things mm-hmm. to do the good habits mm-hmm. like what they do off stage a lot of times is what also separates them sure and uh yeah that's what i did man arlington draft house from like 2012 to 2015 or whatever is what i just every saturday just go watch who was being who were in the three to seventh spots the block is what they call it and just watch them and study them yeah those guys um Andy and Randolph, who ran that show, that that was a Saturday. It it's it moved to DC Draft House now. Um, yeah, but it used to be in Arlington, and uh, now I think it's Big Hunt. Personally, I think like oh yeah, if you go to Big Hunt now and watch who was in the from the three to the eighth spot, just watch those guys or girls, and it's like that's you know that's who you want to learn from. Yeah, they they had a real system of taking you along one step at a time from going last to going second to last to going third to last fourth to last then they move you up to first yeah and they really um they groomed a lot of comics of the scene that went on to do some really awesome things yeah definitely but that having that structure in place and like learning how that structure worked that had a big impact on how i ran big hunt because i was like okay this is what happens you're brand new 
you start off, you go last, maybe you get on, maybe you don't get on and you work your way up. Yeah. And it, it, it and it took me like learning, watching and learning and, and knowing who to book on my shows, you mm-hmm. know, because e- even with me, like it's, it's a challenge constantly, you know, when you build a name for yourself and the build a name for your show, you want to make sure the quality stays high. And it's, it's, it's challenging finding comics who can fit, you know, could always deliver. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's a full-time job. Like, I mean, I'm sure you always have, you have to book shows all the time. Finding I never line- stop. Yeah. I li- never like stop. lineups all the time. It's, it's, uh, you run out of comics sometimes. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's just, that's the nature of it. Yeah. So you, you started building overachievers, overachievers m- moves venues twice. Now it's at DC improv. Yeah, man. That was like probably the biggest game changer for me that's allowed me to, you know, even think about moving to Los Angeles because once, once the show moved to the DC improv, it kind of took on a, a whole nother life. Mm-hmm. It really has just exploded, man. So you're I now, mean, you're at the biggest club in the city. Yeah. Uh, One of the top clubs in the country. Yeah. yeah c- completely respected club across the country. And, uh, all of a sudden you're just getting to the point where it's like, okay, you're on all the biggest shows. You're in the biggest venues in, in the city. You have a following. You're supporting yourself through stand up. And then at a certain point you gotta ask yourself, what what is the next step? And for you it's gonna be heading out to LA n- next yeah. week. Yeah, I recently decided to move. It wasn't an easy decision, but uh I think it's necessary to challenge yourself and push yourself and be out of your comfort zone because uh yeah the moment you feel comfortable you know i don't think it's uh it's good for your stand up yeah but you got big you got big dreams yeah i mean, that's and that's it's hard to you got to there's a you there are trade offs depending on where you live but the easiest way to be big is to be in new york or la that's true but i think for me getting getting good was such a priority and i think getting good is just i mean obviously you know there's different different definitions but the dc comedy scene is, has got to be one of the best comedy scenes to to have come up in i got lucky because there was no way of knowing dc was going to be a good scene mm-hmm. i just was like this is just where i'm from yeah right that's right <laughs> I yeah just, i mean i just moved back to a place where like i took a chance i just trusted my gut did it and then it just kind of like Got some TV credits on, along the way, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, things kind of just lined up pretty nicely. And you're excited about LA? You got a show out there? Yeah, I was given. I was yeah, I was offered a, I was offered you know to bring the overachievers over there to uh, to a highly respected comedy club. I won't say which because it's not you know super official yet, but it's a it's an exciting comedy club in LA and. Um, People always ask me like, "Yeah, am I excited?" And it's uh, it's tough to say yes because, for me, it's just like, uh, it's just work. You got a lot of work ahead of you. Yeah, it's like that feeling of like, knowing what it's like to be on stage for like two thousand people one night, and then being in front of four people the next at a dive bar. You got to k- kind of stay even keeled. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anytime I'm gonna take on something new, that especially that's big, I'm not excited about it. I'm like focused on getting it done i'm not like oh i can't wait to do this thing i'm like yeah because the fun or the the the, you know the excitement comes from the execution like when i see things 
executed the way it needs to be, that's where I'm like, I get satisfaction. Same. I'm like, I'm like, yep, that's what was supposed to happen. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I was right. Yeah. But then when it falls apart and you know where it went wrong, that's when it's excruciating because you know like what you should have been, you should have done. And you don't have that much time to like be down on it because you're on to the next thing. You're like, well, it's like calling the wrong play. Sure. It's like, ah, took a chance on that one, but it, it didn't pay off. So yeah. I got to, I got to, you know, the next play has got to be even better now. So do you have a a vision for what you want long term? Are you trying to take it as far as you, are you like, I just want to see how far yeah, I can dude, go? Yeah, just like drug dealing. I want to yeah. take it as far as I, you know, I don't want to be a kingpin. Yeah. I don't have that mentality. Uh-huh. I never had that, like, try to be the king of D. I, I, that was never a dream of mine. Because in my mind, I'm like, I'm not competing with anyone in D.C. I'm competing with the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. I'm competing with, like, a, a comedian in India uh-huh. like, who I don't know yet. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It will be interesting to see because I think that that is going to happen. I think comedians are going to start coming out of Ah, dude, 100 out of it's, already, it's already happening. And it's like, yeah. I'm going to, you know... I'm I'm proud to be from the DC area and, and to have started here and to now go to LA and kind of bring that that style of comedy to LA because I feel like my style is not really in LA. Do you yeah. think that stand up is like that's like the thing that the that you care about the most? Hundred percent, yeah. But it's through stand up that's going to allow me to have other opportunities, yeah. which I'm excited about because you want to do other stuff. Too. I do don't want to do other stuff, but I want to be known for stand-up in the beginning yeah i think that's important to me to be an accomplished comic yeah you it's before it's, i transition if you're going to be doing stand-up at all you want to be as respected as you can and go take it as far as i can as far as skill level skill right. sets you know i think uh you never you know just to develop and see how far i can take it yeah and you you went from you know you had an la style then you're doing a lot of ethnic jokes and then you kind of transition into uh, what would be more of like a Chappelle, like yes. Louis, just type of uh, joke te- writer, storytelling. Story. Yeah, Tony Woods is a huge influence on mine. You know, and then because uh, he, you know, Tony Woods is also from Silver Spring. Dave Chappelle's right. from Silver Spring. Tommy David's from Silver Spring. These are guys who grew up in my neighborhood, like my area. And so when I watch Tony Woods on stage, he reminds me of a guy at a bus stop that you know we're waiting for a bus together. You know, it's like that's kind of the vibe I try to give off. Like when people come up to me after shows like, man, when you're on stage, it just felt like we were on the front porch and you're just talking to us. And I'm like, that's exactly the energy I was going for. Yeah, I was going to say, because I think that's like your most recent Dude, evolution. It's very new. And yeah, it's very, very recent. And I think as soon as I reach that, I'm like, let me take this to L.A. Real quick. Yeah, because the product once, is ready. Once you had <laughs> once you had a, a following enough that they would come out and see you kind of do anything, anything, they're down to just see you be on stage, whatever you want. No pressure for you to. There was excitement to see the development. Yeah, that's how cool it got. So then then you're sitting on a stool then you're yeah. talking to your audience, Hunt, dude, and then you're you're kind of relating to them in a personal way. And it's a little bit different than walking on stage trying to get the biggest laughs you know you're no longer trying in every set trying to crush you're right. now you're exploring your own ideas and in, in your own history and in, in relating to the crowd 100 percent. and uh yeah digging deeper dude i headlined a show on friday it was like uh my last headlining set before i move and um i was telling stories i would stop my set and just go into a story because a memory would pop up mm-hmm and just go into this memory and crush with this mm-hmm. memory I had from 
because that's how connected I am with the audience. Yeah. And they're connected with me. Yeah. Where they appreciate an old memory, you know? Right. And that was like, I'm like, whoa, that's powerful. And you would have never got to that place of performing that way if you didn't have to go through all those steps of development one step at a time till you develop, till you can open yourself up like that and do that type of stand-up. Yeah, what you just said, going through all the development and then getting to a level where people are coming to see you is such a game changer. I think, you know, I wish every comic could know what that feels like where people are just like, you know, whether it be 50 people, 100 people, whatever amount of people, but they're there to see you and they're excited to hear your words. Yeah. It's uh, it's so empowering to dig deeper. Sure. Part of the reason I want to move is because I feel like I owe it to the people who are excited to see me. Cause I to wanna do come, more? I want to come, yeah, to do more, but also to come back with new stories. Yeah. Martin in LA, Martin chasing his dream. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I dropped the special uh, on YouTube in December, like six months ago, called Help Me Move Out My Parents' House. That was a very definitive moment in my career, you know, because there was a real desire to move out of my parents' house after doing comedy for six years. I'd reached a level. I hit a ceiling and I was frustrated. I'm like, how do I get this feeling out of my system? I feel like I've been working really hard at stand up and I put 38 minutes of my, my, my material, basically my full act at the time on YouTube. And it, it, it took on a life of its own to the point where it went viral. It's up, it's up to 100,000 views and um all organic and uh that gave me the confidence to dig deeper and it's uh it's really cool it's a cool feeling man yeah it's it's been uh exciting to watch it and uh you know be a part of it yeah dude and uh i'm excited to see what happens out in la man shout out to big hunt for making it happen yeah, honestly dude. dude like if it wasn't for big hunt that's where i developed all my like my strongest material yeah like the ones that hit the hardest is because of your room because i was able to really test it out yeah well own it because you've seen it you yeah seen of course i saw the whole thing saw man. The whole i thing. saw it start to finish i yeah, watched you, all of it from ethnic jokes to good material man yeah Hell yeah dude <laughs> <laughs> thanks man thank you bro for more information about our live shows check out undergroundcomedydc.com